If you have a Bible, would you turn to the Gospel of John? I was reminded this morning how I'm grateful to sing Christmas music. Uh, I remember as a kid, I was not excited the day after Thanksgiving when my mom would turn on the radio and play Christmas music over and over and over again. But now as an adult, I enjoy it. Teenagers, maybe that's one thing you can look forward to. You know you're an adult when Christmas music is enjoyable. Maybe. This morning we're going to continue with round two of our series, This Christmas, answering the question, why Christmas? We want to keep you thinking about why is it that God became man in Jesus? I think these are very sanctifying thoughts. Because have you considered that the reason God became man in Jesus is for people like us? There wasn't something missing in the creation that God needed to fix until man came along and messed something up. There wasn't something missing in God that he had to become man in Jesus to fill up who God was. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ because in the birth of Christ, we see God's mercy to people like you and me. Christ came in humility so that we might benefit, so that we might see God's mercy. Now, last week, Patrick took us into a study about the love of God, that when Christ came to earth, we see God's love demonstrated towards mankind. Thank you, brother, for taking us on that path. This week, I want you to think about that Jesus came for the purpose of revelation. And that's really just a big word to mean that when Jesus came, he pulled back the curtain to reveal something lying behind the curtain. He made known this truth to us that God wanted us to know. So Jesus came to the earth not only to demonstrate God's love to mankind, he came to tell us God's message. He came to reveal God's message to sinful man. So we look at Jesus, we look to Jesus as the apex, the climax, the, the greatest one who revealed what God wanted us to know. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. It's the son of God that shows us best the way to the father. It's the son of God that teaches us truth from the father. It's the son of God who gives eternal life to all who believe in him. And this morning from John chapter one, I want you to see three reasons why Jesus is God's perfect message to mankind. We're going to read verses 1 through 18 in John chapter 1 to get the full context, but I'm just going to preach from verses 14 through 18. So if you have your Bible, look in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now John the Apostle writes this gospel with purpose. And if you've ever read through John's gospel, you know the purpose is found in chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's John's purpose all the way back here in chapter one. He wants to show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he wants us to believe so that we might have life, everlasting life. So this morning, the sermon is not simply something else to add to an overwhelming holiday season. If you find Christmas overly busy, just take a break, take a breath, and this morning consider, ponder Jesus, the Son of God who demonstrates God's holiness, who teaches God's truth, who defines God's good news. This is a call to behold Jesus, the majesty of the Son of God, and celebrate Christmas because of Christ who points us to God and in whom is true life. If you're a Christian this morning, let this passage of Scripture strengthen your faith in Jesus. If you don't call yourself a Christian, then I encourage you to listen to the Scriptures, hear the truth about God's only Son. Feel the burden of believing in his name. Because to reject God's message is to reject God. I want you to see first that Jesus is God's perfect message because Jesus is God's fleshly message. And don't say that too fast. Something you don't expect might come out. Jesus is God's fleshly message. Now when we read the Bible, we hear that word flesh and we can come to a couple of different understandings of the word flesh, probably what you have in mind first is the sinful understanding. To live in the flesh is to live a carnal, worldly lifestyle. But that's not what John is getting at in chapter 1, verse 14. He's pointing to the fact that that Jesus wasn't just spirit. He came in the body of flesh. So don't think sinful flesh. Think a body of flesh. This is what he says in verse 14. The word became flesh. He's already said in verse 1 that the word has an eternal, godly, divine character. He was with God and he was God and he was in the beginning with God. But now, in verse 14, this eternal word became flesh. 
So the word has the, who has the qualities of God now also has the qualities of man. And this isn't fake news. John isn't reporting uh, an announcement of something new. He's reporting his experience with Jesus. That in Jesus, the true nature of God took on the true nature of man truly and completely. Now this isn't metamorphosis where God turned into man and left God behind. And when God became flesh, this isn't also hypnosis to where God tricked all of his believers and they only just imagined that he was a man. There's no delegation here where God empowered a certain special man to do his work. There's no chemical reaction where God plus man equals something completely different and we call him Jesus. And there was no divine possession either to where God took over a human body to do his work. No, true God became true man fully and completely so as to be both God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Now, in the words of my daughter, my head is blowing up. (laughs) But I don't aim to blow up your head. The aim here is to draw you into worship. To think that the eternal creator of the universe would step into time and become a man like one of us, that is truly amazing. Amazing because as much as we like to think that humans have some decency in us, all of you know other humans, right? And in fact, all of us here are human. We know our own hearts well enough to think that eternal God would step into time and live among people like us, that is truly amazing. To think that one so great would take a place among people who are so not great. We must confess with the Apostle Paul that great indeed is the mystery of godliness, that he was manifested in the flesh. But church, this is where faith comes in because the greater question after hearing these things isn't how in the world did that happen? Explain it to me how it all works out. The greater question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that God became man? Because this is a critical teaching. If God did not become man in Jesus, then we are all, all of us, still lost in sin. And we'll see in later weeks as as we continue to preach through these passages that other important teachings from the Bible hinge on this truth that God became man. And if God did not become man, then much of the rest of what we believe about salvation and Jesus falls apart. Now in case you don't see the value of the incarnation still just yet, consider more of what John says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's as if God pitched a tent in the middle of first century Judea and lived in it. And this is reminiscent of the Old Testament. One day we'll, we'll hear in our series through Exodus how God told Moses to build a tabernacle a tent, and the purpose of that tabernacle was so that God's glory could come and dwell with his people, that God's glory would rest in that tabernacle, that tent, and the people could see the manifestation of God in their presence. 
And there, God would speak to Moses and give his message and communicate with his people. Then we come to the New Testament, and there's no longer a tabernacle, no longer a tent. It's become obsolete. Hopefully you see where I'm going with this. It's obsolete because God's presence has become personal. God no longer is resting his glory in a tent. God is dwelling among his people in the flesh. So John says his presence was so real that we have seen his glory. This isn't a quick glance kind of sight. This is the long observation, concentration kind of sight. It's the kind of seeing that happens at a Christmas parade. Anybody been to a Christmas parade lately? It's the observation that results in a bobblehead syndrome. So the parade's going by and you pick up a float or a band and you're observing and watching and you're grasping everything you can as they follow past and whether you get tired of watching or they go out of sight, you start back over the other side. (laughs) And all day long, dozens of times, you're just scanning the crowd in front of you. What's going on? Watching. And at least the judges know what kind of observation this is. John didn't just see Jesus live, he watched him. He lived with him. He gazed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. In his first letter towards the end of the Bible, in 1 John, he described his experience this way, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father, And it was made manifest to us. This is nothing less than eyewitness testimony. John's not reporting something he doesn't know about. He he saw and watched and lived with Christ. John is a primary source for the life of Jesus. And this is why the apostles were uniquely qualified to write the New Testament. Because they were with the Son of God. They had firsthand authentic interaction with Christ. They weren't just seminary professors studying until they got their paper right. They testified to seeing the glory of God in a man named Jesus. They saw his miracles. They saw his transfiguration. But in his humanity, they also saw his cross. And they saw the blood that he poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. They saw his mercy and his compassion for people. They saw his patience and his meekness and his weakness as a man who was led like a lamb to the slaughter and yet he opened not his mouth. He was like every man and yet unlike any man. Previously, God had chosen to reveal himself in the Old Testament through words. Words from, of promise, words of prophecy, words of creation, words of judgment, words through dreams and visions and words that described miraculous events. Words from the mouths of prophets and priests and kings and angels and donkeys and hands riding on the wall. Words which had to be validated by God. And then, at the right time, the word became flesh. And no longer do we have to hear this introduction that we read so often in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to Jesus just spoke. Because every word that came out of his mouth is the word of the Lord. And Jesus is this perfect message from God because in the flesh, he speaks 
and he interprets and he applies all of God's word all at once. And all the while he's facing every temptation known to man and yet he is without sin. In the flesh, he lives perfectly and then he pays the price for all of our imperfection. John saw that glory. But Jesus is not only the fleshly message from God. Jesus is God's full message to man. So John says that the glory we have seen, that's the glory as the only son from the father. The glory that Christ displayed is unlike any glory that had come before. It's the fullest kind of glory. Now there is no more of God that needs to be made known than what Christ has revealed. That's an important statement. And if we would yet grasp Christ, then we would understand God. This is actually what Jesus himself taught when one of his disciples, Philip, asked him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. You remember what Jesus said? Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What do you mean, show us the Father? Now, there are still a few teachers out there today who would say that Jesus never claimed to be God, but even Jesus' enemies understood what he was saying So in John chapter 5 and verse 18, one of the major reasons the Jews wanted to kill Jesus was because, and I quote, he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. John saw the glory of Jesus and he saw that it was on par with the glory of God. Jesus is this perfect message from God because the glory that he reveals is equal to the glory of God. And that's what it means when the The Bible says that Jesus is the only son of the Father. Your version may say something like the only begotten or the one and only. And the emphasis in that phrase is that Jesus is the only one like him. He is the unique son of God. There is no other like Jesus in terms of relationship with the Father. He is set apart because he is unique. And he can speak on behalf of the Father because he's the only one like him. Now if you are a son in the room, there may be other people closer to your dad, and there are limitations to this illustration, but probably the best person to speak about and describe your father is you, because you're the one who has heard what he has said and lived with him and learned his lifestyle best. As he raised you, he raised you, and you become like him and Jesus in a much, much greater way fills up the explanation of God as God's one and only son. No one knows or explains God the Father better than Jesus the Son. Now these truths are not the way the world likes to think about Jesus. These are opposed to the truths that many in the world think is true about Jesus. For instance, the Jesus of the Bible is not the Mormon Jesus who is simply another man who lived better than others. He, he raised above the bar of regular humanity, realizing his full potential. But the Bible says that Jesus is the one and only Son of God who stooped down to man. The Jesus of the Bible is not the Jehovah's Witnesses Jesus. He is one who is uh, not one with the Father, but one with the angel Michael. And the angel Michael, according to the Jehovah's Witnesses, left his angelic nature and became man. 
But the Bible tells us Jesus is not the angel man. Jesus is the God man. He is not by nature an angel. He is by nature God. The Jesus of the Bible is not the Baha'i Jesus. I mention that because around the corner is a Baha'i center. You might have seen it as you left the Civic Center. But according to the Baha'i faith, Jesus is just one of many divine appearances of God who has been superseded by others after him. Most recently is the man named Baha'u'llah, which means, listen to this, the glory of God. What blasphemy. Interestingly, this man, after proclaiming that he was the glory of God in the world, died 30 years later. And so if you are caught up in any of these ways of thinking, let me encourage you to listen to what the Bible teaches because those ways of thinking aren't even fit to be called false teachers. They are simply a scheme of the devil to blind the minds of unbelievers. But listen to what the Bible says. The word became flesh and those who were with him saw his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. The Bible tells us that Jesus is all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. And that was a fullness of grace and truth. So the end of verse 14, he demonstrated the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So think of Jesus, this preacher, this revealer of truth. So when he was interrogated by Pilate just before his crucifixion, this is what he says, for this purpose I was born And for this, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Do you want to know what truth is? Start with Christ. This is why he spoke so boldly, not as their scribes, but as one who had authority. We who preach and we who teach work hard to speak accurately and to speak well the truths that we learn in Scripture. And sometimes we have to rethink our words and think hard about it and make sure we're accurate and not messing anything up. But oh, Christ is so much better a preacher of truth. It was not work for him. He simply opened his mouth and truth comes. We read the words of Christ and it is truth. But Jesus is also a preacher and a revealer of grace. Even while he condemns sin, he also says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light not only a preacher of truth but also a preacher of grace and this preaching this revealing of truth and grace is is better than what came before because it is more full what came before wasn't wrong it just couldn't accomplish everything that needed to be accomplished. And when Christ came and he preached truth and he demonstrated grace, he's filling up the revelation that came before him. That revelation served a purpose. It accomplished God's plan for what it was, but there was a limit. But now in Christ, we see the the fullness of this message that wasn't evident before. And so in verses 15 to 17, we read about two prophets Two prophets that John uses to make this case that Christ is better and fuller in his message of what he preaches about God. The first one is John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist is different than John who wrote the gospel. 
John the, the writer was the apostle who, who lived with Jesus and went on to write parts of the Bible. John the Baptist is the last major prophet of the Old Testament style. Jesus said about John the prophet that no one greater than him had been born. But what did John the Baptist say? Look in verse 15. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John, this greatest prophet among men, said that this Jesus is even better than me. And as we hear John's words, we hear the last of those Old Testament type prophets. And for hundreds and thousands of years, the prophets have been preaching, have been making promises, pointing to something that was coming, writing and speaking, and yet in shadows and types. It's as if those Old Testament prophets had the, the cup. They had this container and they knew what was going to go in it, but they just didn't have it yet. And Peter said of those old prophets that they searched and inquired carefully, looking for the person and the timing of Christ, but they did not see him. And then there's John the Baptist who, who came as one of those old kinds of prophets and he has this cup and he knows what's going in it and he sees what's going in the cup. He sees the fulfillment of that cup. There is Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knows the promises and the predictions and he says, that's him. So he's holding this promise in the one hand and with the other hand, he's pointing to the fulfillment of those promises and the fulfillment is Jesus. But John the Baptist could only go so far. He could only be a finger pointing at the promise. He was not the promise. Peter continues about those prophets. Those prophets learned that they weren't serving themselves, but they were serving you. Now, Peter was speaking about his readers, those who would read his letter, but we can transfer that even to us. Those prophets weren't serving themselves. They were serving everyone who would hear the, the fullness of the good news preached to them. The prophets were helping us, saying, this is the one who's coming. John says, Jesus is that one. And we say, yes, Jesus has fulfilled the promises. And Jesus, when he comes, he's looking at that cup and he is the fulfillment of that cup. And he tells people, feed on my flesh the true food. Drink of my blood the true drink. And herein is eternal life. Drink the cup that is full of Jesus. There's not just a promise anymore, but the answer to that promise and all that waiting that had gone on for, for generations is now fulfilled. And so we, we look at these candles that help us think about the waiting of God's people for generations, waiting for the Messiah to come. And we light the candle to help us think about how long of a time that was. And those people before Christ looked ahead thinking he's coming, he's coming. We're waiting for him, we're looking for him. But church, we get to light the last candle and we get to look back and say, Christ has come. We know who that promise is. We know God's full message because God has sent him to us. And every good piece of news that we can claim is found in Christ. Promises kept is what we can say. And if that's not plenty, John points to another prophet in verse 17. The prophet Moses you know Moses? Look in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And he's implying here that Moses was not enough. And I think this is something. If you know anything about Moses, you'll know that Moses 
saw God's glory. Moses pleaded with God, God, show me your glory. But no man can see the full glory of God and live. So when Moses asked God, show me your glory, God put him behind a rock. Remember this story? He put him behind a rock so that when God's glory passed by Moses, he wouldn't see the fullness of God's glory. He'd see what some have said is like the afterglow of God's glory. He'd see the backside of God's glory. That's an interesting thing to try to picture. But the point is, Moses saw a portion of God's glory. And then later on in Exodus 34, God actually reveals himself to Moses further. And he, he tells Moses a bit of what his character is and he he calls himself the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's simply the Old Testament way of saying what we're reading this morning, that he was full of grace and truth. Moses had seen God's glory, but even Moses has a limit. There's only so much good that Moses could do. In verse 17, we learn all that Moses brought What was given through Moses was the law. Now the law did what it was supposed to do. The law teaches us much great truth. It teaches us our duty as men. It teaches us, uh, makes clear that our condemnation is necessary and it shows us our need of a savior. But the truth in Christ sets sinners free. And where the law teaches truth, it never conveys grace. But the grace of Christ is that he fulfills our duty and he takes our condemnation and he works out our salvation. And so God's message is being filled up to its fullness. The law and the prophets, they pointed to hope, but they never answered the hope. But then the word became flesh and our hope was answered. All those things that the previous revelation could not do, Jesus worked out. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians 1. Let me give you some fuel to this fire. In verses 3 through 14 of Ephesians 1, we see some of the practical ways that Jesus fills up this message from God. What is it that Jesus worked out that the old revelation never could? If you're one to write in your Bible, you might underline every time you see the phrase in Christ or in Jesus or through Christ because those are the important phrases. Ephesians chapter one, look in verse three. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The law has never done such a thing. In verse four, he chose us in him. The prophets didn't do that. In verse five, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. In verse six, He has blessed us in the beloved that is Christ. In verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. In verse nine, he set forth his purpose in Christ. In verse 10, he has united all things together in him. In verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. In verse 13, in him we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, those things only happen because of Christ. Had it not been for Christ coming and doing his work, none of those things would be true for us. 
And that's just some of this overflowing grace that has come through Christ. And we could go on for days if each of us would recount the, the daily ways that God has shown us his grace and how, how Christ has worked in each of us day by day. And we would agree with verse 16 that from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. If the testimony of your faith is not grace upon grace upon grace, then I would encourage you Examine the genuineness of your faith because following Jesus isn't just about saying I'm Christian like I say I'm an American. Following Jesus is recognizing God's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's what makes Jesus oh so far better than John the Baptist or Moses or any of the other prophets or the law because Jesus is the word made flesh. Lastly, I want to show you that Jesus is God's perfect message to man because he is God's final message to man. So in verse 18 we read, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And just consider what is it that God wants man to know what is God's message to man? And we could make a long list of a lot of words, but essentially, what does God want us to know but God? He wants us to know his character and his will and his plan for eternity. What he wants for man and how to work it out. His design for us and his solution for our sin. What we need to know personally and intimately and deeply and truly is God. And Christ, the one and only Son of God, He has made Him known. There's no further PS at the end of the letter. There's no missing page that we need to be looking for. There's hardly anything more to say because God's one and only Son has perfectly made God known. He has told us all that we need to know from the Lord. In the New Testament, we have the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, how to apply those teachings in our life, and we have the expectation of Jesus' second coming. What more could we need? And so in verse 18, though no one has ever seen God, the only God who is the Word made flesh, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Brothers and sisters, would you know what God is like? and look to Jesus. Would you know what God has said to you and to all of mankind? Then listen to Jesus. Would you have eternal life that God grants and hope for the future and all of eternity? Then rest in Jesus. Because God has revealed every pertinent matter fully and finally in the flesh in Jesus. So this Christmas, think on Christ, the Word made flesh, and worship Him in all of His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to You. First, for Your wisdom that you clearly knew just exactly what all of mankind needed 
that we needed to see God in the flesh and we needed to recognize the sacrifice of the flesh of a man to pay for our own sin. And we thank you for your mercy that you sent your son to be born as a man to accomplish these things. God, it didn't need to be so. And yet you showed us not only the truth, but also your grace. So we thank you. Would you help us, Lord, to concentrate our minds and our thoughts this Christmas upon Jesus, your son. Amen.